Well, here we are, Jennifer. Uh, welcome to Wine Wednesday's sort of culture on uncorked. And wow, what a night to do this the night before Thanksgiving in the US. It's a weird Thanksgiving this year, I think, for a lot of people. And uh, so on behalf of uh, us who are uh, both American and Canadians, like uh, a Canadian like I am, and both our American and Canadian audience, we, on behalf of the Canadian audience, happy Thanksgiving to all of our wonderful American family and friends, and a special Thanksgiving to you. And welcome to our little fun event here that we do on Wednesdays. Great to have you. Thanks so much. I'm super excited to be here. Wish I had brought my wine, although not sure it'd be conducive to conversation, but I, I hope y'all are. We, it's sort of the intent and the metaphor behind it. You know, sometimes we have wine, sometimes we don't. Uh, we are in wine country here, in, uh, and I like to uh, uh, tell all of our American friends that uh, where I'm broadcasting from is the wine country of the western part of Canada, and it's Lake Tahoe meets Sonoma. It really is. It's really a magical place. And uh, Garrett, who's in the back room, uh, uh, our son, uh, lives in Austin, Texas, as you do, and every once we uh, we invite him up here, we just promise that he does not try and bring any Texas wine because no one convinced me that Texas make <laughs> wine. I didn't even know they had wineries in Canada. I mean, I assume wineries are everywhere, but I figured it would be too cold up there. So just well, go how little I know. I know, and that's one of the things about the desert kind of goes up from, actually as far as Sonoma, kind of the high desert comes up this way. and. And in the summertime here on the West Coast, um, it's quite warm. It gets in the 90s pretty much through the summer. And I'll use Fahrenheit for our American friends. And on the, in Ontario, the Niagara Peninsula, there's a big wine area in there as well. So like you say, everybody's growing wine today, including Texans. So uh, it's fair game for everybody. But we're here to talk more than wine we're talking about. We have uh, someone who's living on campus these days, working on campus, Google Google's campus, and um, and you are focusing on helping them find all these people. And I know what a big deal it is for Google to find their you know googly kind of people that really uh, that they need going forward. And Jennifer, we just want to get um, so many insights from you about the relationship between culture and recruitment and hiring. And, and you know, I just want to uh, tell everybody who's on to go to jennifernoelgarabay.com and your site, I mean, you are like a, a, a recruitment uh, genius. You've got resources on there. You've got a way to help people great, great on LinkedIn, resumes, the entire package. So thank you for coming and bringing your perspective. And I just want to start off by just asking you, look, the world of hiring and recruitment is so dramatically changed. What is happening right now from the point, like give us your, you know, behind the scenes. I know we can go to your website, but what's going on, Jennifer? What's happening in the world of hiring and recruitment, particularly in COVID and everything else, what are you learning and what do you want to share with our audience? Yeah, of course. Um, on that note, I think I would dive first in and say that the world is growing increasingly more virtual. And yeah. 
And if you don't get on that bandwagon, you're going to get uh, left behind. So yes. definitely everything is, is growing more virtual. The way we submit applications, the way we network, uh, the way resumes are screened. You know, many places rely solely on the, the applicant tracking system now to, to screen through those resumes. Um, and now that's not always true of every company. Part of what I do is, is reading resumes, but not every company is going to have the resources and the ability that Google has to have real people read every resume. So, so often the, the way to get around that is to use these applicant tracking systems. So really just keeping in mind that, that as we continue to grow and professionally develop, that it's going to continue this way to, to really start tracking ourselves um, in regards to this new virtual world to make the most of it. So, the, so let's go explore that a little bit further because uh, when you say, uh, you know, make sure that you're fully capable of being digital and virtual, what are some of the attributes that give you an idea that uh, that applicant is, is really, you know, is really kind of literate that way more than just sort of in a passing kind of a way and and I mean more than just being able to go on LinkedIn and upload a resume. What are some of the indications that this person's kind of hip from that kind of virtual digital perspective? Right, right. Well, it's not necessarily something we require for every role. So it's not something that I'm necessarily looking for in a candidate like you must be very well digitally versed or we're not going to hire you, but really more so from the sense that if you're a job seeker looking for a job or if you're looking to change roles and you aren't digitally, you know, versed, you're going to struggle. You're, you're going to have a hard time, um, you know, meeting the demand and finding those those roles because everything is just growing increasingly more that way. You know, especially with COVID right now, obviously, we can't physically network and be together um, and so, you know, we're really relying on LinkedIn and these virtual platforms. So your ability to navigate them and to highlight yourself and be able to share yourself um, is really going to be pivotal as we continue into 2021 and, and beyond, especially in regards to, to content, uh, networking on LinkedIn, and just making sure that you have, you know, coding skills, the necessary Google Suite, Microsoft Suite, um, all those sorts of skills to, um, you know, do basic jobs as well. Because without those now, in this day and age, you you at least need to know the computer basics really to, to work almost anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I've had a chance to hang around Mountain View. I've been on the bikes. Um, I've eaten in most of the uh, cool places to eat, both in Mountain View and Toronto and other places. And, um, you know, I've been there for TGIF when it's been around. Of course, I don't think you do it anymore. Uh, but um, I know, though, that even though I thought there's over 100,000 people involved uh, hire, uh, working at Google worldwide, they're pretty fussy. Um, there's a real kind of without getting into their secret sauce, though, what are their what are some of the real cultural indications that that person they may not get the job, but that person looks pretty googly, pretty grayly, pretty whatever the, lead, the the acronym is, that they might be a great match for, for Google. What are some of the, what are some of the indications? So for me, it's really going to be more of your, your soft skills, your, your teamwork, your ability to collaborate, your ability to, you know, put your ego aside and be able to, to work on a team to find the best solution, not your solution. 
And those sorts of things, although you can look for soft skills on a resume, and so that's often what we're we're honing into in those moments, a lot of that is really just gonna come out in the interview. And yeah. and I feel like the the recruiter and the interviewers know, you know, within within five minutes or less, I'd say, whether or not, you know, based on the way you hold yourself, the way you speak, uh, the way you speak to your previous roles, whether or not you're the kind of person um, they would they would want to come to Google or or continue to associate with. We really look for people who are are well rounded, you know, respectful, able to to come together to really focus on those big picture ideas, more of the we, not the me. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of that can only be sussed out once you actually actually speak to someone. But but in the sense of a resume for for the sake of job seekers and, and how they can make themselves stand out in that way, definitely making sure that you hit hard on those on those soft skills relating to teamwork, collaboration and leadership. One hundred percent. OK, so we have we, we don't rehearse any of this. This is all just fun stuff. OK, so. Uh, let's say I was just showing up and you were interviewing me. You won't, give me the first couple of minutes. The first couple of minutes of the interview? Jennifer, I'm so glad to be there. I want to, I'm applying for the chief people officer job of Google. And thank you for asking me to, um, to interview. So, yeah. So I would say that I would probably open up. Uh, one of my favorite things to open with is to ask you how you deal with conflict and to ask you to describe a situation in your past, a previous role in which there was conflict between you and another individual and uh, how you came to an appropriate solution. Oh, I love it. So that would be an opening kind of a, kind of a salvo. Yeah, I, sometimes I, you, know, you just go for it. Exactly, in particular with the chief people officer, right? You'd wanna know how they handle conflict. Yeah. And, yeah, so I might start with a story about when I was the hedgy evangelist at a bank and I had to take the entire company from uh, Microsoft to G Suite. And as you might imagine, people pitched a, a fit. <laughs> Did people pitch a fit? They didn't want to do it, I assume. Well, no, you know, it was very interesting because where some of the conflict came from was particular from experts. Um, so we, we had a persona kind of, um, we used personas to understand the various type of people. So we just didn't identify people as by role or function, but experts who love, love uh, the ability to use collaborative and productivity tools. And of course, many of them grew up on Excel. And Sheets is often not a known commodity for them, or they had a view that it was underperforming and it didn't have the attributes of Excel. And so, you know, how might you deal with, in that case, a very high level of conflict and turn that out to be a very positive thing? I would tell that story around how they did it, but I would also be equipped to talk about a story where I had conflict with um, a CEO that I worked for and we saw things a different way. And I'd want to talk about you know, what I learned about being self-accountable around being able to manage that because, you know, there was a part of that in that where every dumb thing I've done probably or most dumb things is when my ego's gotten in the way and I've been trying to be more about being right than doing the right thing. So I would probably share with you around hopefully how much that I have progressed and learned around how to navigate that. But 
um, and that I'm more equipped to be more personally accountable around how I might move relationships forward. So hopefully I'd be starting to get by your first question. <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer. It shows, you know, humility. It shows ability to collaborate. I think sometimes people get caught up in, you know, an interview, obviously you're showing your best skills. You want to put your best foot out there, but oftentimes show, putting your best foot out there is showing your ability to grow and change. And oftentimes the way we do that is by providing an example, much like the one you did about a time where you didn't do great at something, where you failed, where you needed work or progression because it speaks to, you know, your honesty, again, your humility and, and your ability to to take feedback, grow and change and, and that desire to be better. So yeah, well you know, uh, uh, one of the things that um, I remember uh, and I, I wrote a book and it's in my book and it's public and I've talked to the people and I told the people involved in this uh, about the story, but I was working for uh, uh, the Los Angeles Kings hockey club. And I loved the job, loved it, just totally loved it. And Tim Lywicki, who is maybe the best sports leader in all the world, and he and I just saw how to deal with people differently. And there's just a different angle. And uh, and I spent a little bit of too much time thinking about how screwed up he was in his thinking and how right I was. And so I spent more time trying to convince other people that I was right and that he was wrong. And it took me to a completely wrong place. And I, you know, that lesson has stuck with me, uh, Jennifer, for so long. Um, and um, and sometimes those painful lessons really kind of paved the way. Um, I mean, I chose to leave that job, but probably if I'd have been more skillful at that time and being able to navigate it, I may have had more choice around how that uh, that came out. But I, I'm very open about talking about that and. Because I think those things do give, you have to give other people an example and understanding around, like you say, how much you've really applied and learned through those kind of those kind of environments. And it's not like you say when you give, uh, you're being interviewed to show everybody that no one's going to believe you're perfect anyway, uh, right? So very true. Romy, what would be your next one? So that one would be around conflict. You want to get into collaboration. So how do you? How would you explore whether I was collaborative? So really, a lot of times we just try to focus on open-ended questions. And so it's really just like, it would be very basic. Almost so like, can you provide an example of a time where, you know, maybe you had a difference of opinion with someone, but you had to collaborate on an idea and how you were able to come together and compromise? Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, you watch how someone's mind works on that, how they... Do you tend to do it yourself, Jennifer, or are there usually a, a, a table or, or cadre of people with you on during the, uh, doing the interview? So for my previous role, I used to be an operations and project manager for high profile promotions. I did all the interviewing, hiring, firing for two years. But in my role at Google, I don't actually do any of the interviewing. So I am very familiar with the process. I can speak to the types of questions and how the process works. but. I myself currently um, don't actually participate in the interviews right now. So um, I love this background and experience you have with this though. So let's say that I was, uh, um, I was sitting with you and I was, uh, uh, and for my, whether I was running a company, like some people that are going to be on here or we are starting a company up or whatever. And I said to you, you know, my three core 
of values, Jennifer, for running this company are around self-accountability, around respect and abundance. Um, and I really want to build, I really want to determine, uh, I know we're going to get top-notch candidates with all the skills in the world, right? We're going to get them from Ivy League schools or we're going to get them from all the schools we want. I know technically and, and um, you're going to help me find those people. What I'm more worried about is I want to know whether they've got those values and attributes. So how would you start to help me form that or shape that up uh, in the recruitment process? Yeah, of course. So I feel like truly those sorts of qualities do really start to reveal themselves more so in the initial sort of screening process with a phone interview. A lot of that you can't always tell from a resume, which is why we really try to take that that unbiased scope, I'm just looking at, you know, because when I look at a resume, if you have a photo there, I'm not looking at the photo. I'm not looking at what your name is. I'm not looking at where you're from. I go straight for your work experience because that's all I care about. All I yeah. care about is can you do this job based on what you've done previously? And right. once you make it through that initial stage, really in the phone interview, we then start to, uh, you know, suss out the, the softer skills and, and whether or not someone is going to have those attributes and be able to, to work collaboratively and have that sort of level of respect. So um, just continuing to ask the open-ended questions, getting a, a real feel for a person in the phone interview by oftentimes letting them take the, the wheel is what I'd like to do. You know, what would you like to tell me about yourself? What do you feel passionate about and strongly about? Um, you know, people will often have their sort of elevator pitch made up or or they'll have a chance to be really brutally honest if they don't and, and let you know, you know, where their head's at, uh, the sort of things they value. And hopefully those uh, those can start to align. Um, and additionally, you know, looking into their past, their references and, and who can speak to the work they've done in the past and their their level of competency and, and ability to work with others. So what's the real scoop on digital footprint? Like if I misbehaved on Facebook 10 years, not that I ever did, but, uh, or if there's any of that around, is that hanging out there? Is that, is that the real deal? Is that, is that, is that sitting there like a big kind of, you know, sitting that's what a pendulum? You know, I think of like a few years ago, yes. You know, maybe five, six, seven years ago, that was the thing, right? Like you couldn't have anything on Facebook that your employers would see. Um, and now it's more so I just I really recommend keeping that stuff private, you know, have your Instagram, have your Facebook, only add the people who you know personally, or if you do add people from work, make sure that you are, you consider them a friend, someone who you would want to continue to associate with outside of work and in that sort of capacity or capacity, or who feels like they know you well, you know, the really the only place you want to be, um, interacting with people uh, who could even potentially give you a job is going to be LinkedIn, which is, you know, very much so a professional network and there should be no sort of fun, funny business going on there, you know, really no religion, no politics, nothing over yeah. sexual or anything like that um, because it's very much so a, a professional sphere. But I don't really think people go looking for that too much anymore. I think there's also far too much information. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A Michael Smith. I'm gonna have a hard time finding right. Michael Smith on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I do want to. I do want. I'll ask Garrett to uh, to post uh, Jennifer Noel 
garibay.com. You've got a YouTube channel. You've got uh, your 10 tips on LinkedIn are just excellent. Uh, I really encourage people to go to your website, go to your YouTube channel. I want to now flip over to the other side. Now, um, now I'm a top talent, and I want to suss out the real culture. Okay, so, yeah, I've talked to a couple friends, and I know this is that, and I've been on Glassdoor, and I see the score is 3.4, slightly above average. The, the CEO rating is 74. Not great, but not horrible. Um, and you know, how do I decide, help me decide whether from a cultural point of view, I want to be associated. What are the absolute things that would be killers for me? You would say to me, you see this, maybe there are no absolutes, but what's as close to an absolute no, or are really attractive for you? What's your advice? So that's a great question. I think there's uh, that that can be very uh, multifaceted. One of the biggest points for me is communication. Um, you know, candidates hate being ghosted. Everyone hates being ghosted in any regard, whether or not it's personal or professional. And so if you are in touch with a company who cannot communicate with you effectively or is not willing to to communicate with you when you're an applicant in the process, there may not be a company that's worth continuing to work for or, or continuing to uh, you know, want to work for, apply with. Um, and I'm not talking about just, you know, you sent in your resume and you didn't hear anything back because you can't expect that every time with the sheer volume of resumes that are submitted, unfortunately. But if, if a recruiter has spoken to a candidate in any sense, if you have emailed them once, if you have you know, had a phone screen with them. If you have had an, any sort of interview contact with them, at that point, it is your job and it is on you to close the loop. And it, it is your responsibility as a recruiter and someone who is the guardian of the culture where you work to ensure candidates receive this white glove experience and and truly get treated with, with fairness and respect. So if you aren't receiving that sort of communication, if you had a phone interview and you haven't heard anything in two months, I would seriously sit there and consider, is this the kind of place I want to work for? Um, because most places who have their stuff together aren't going to let that happen. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I mean, like you say, it's one thing. Don't expect if you know, like at ATB, when I was this chief people officer, we used to get, we had 5,000 people. We used to get 50,000 solicited, unsolicited resumes. There was no way. We tried, but we just, you know, we just couldn't get. However, if someone's contacting you and you're in there, then that brand is being represented by their recruiter. And if you're getting screwed around, then what's going to happen after you get there? And yeah. Um, yeah. So what, which, um, if you and I were to design uh, the perfect welcome product for a person coming to an organization, uh, we were going to welcome the hell out of them. Like, not just onboarding, but welcome them. What would you, what would be the key pieces of your welcome, your welcome strategy? Wow, that is a great question. No one's ever asked me anything like that before. Um, for me, I think one of the things that makes people feel most welcome and that really hits upon culture and something that I think my team actually strives at and does very well is, is connecting. 
connecting with people um, and really just getting to know each other. You know, when we had five new team members come onto our team about a month ago, we, even though it's a virtual setting and our schedules are all crazy, we had virtual lunches and virtual coffee chats set up all week with these people. Um, you know, we encouraged everyone on the team who's an older member to reach out to them and set up a time to at least chat for a half an hour so that these people in this virtual world can at least feel like they know those of us who are already here and together and, you know, a part of a team. And it, it's hard to come into an environment where people are already friends or people already work well together and you're sort of that that odd man out. So I think part of making people feel very welcome would be to maybe have some sort of like event, some sort of mixer, some sort of uh, get to know the team or team building that day. I think that can go a long way to setting the tone, showing that you care about culture and connection and, and just driving that team experience so that you can work together more cohesively. I completely agree with you. And, uh, you know, I, when I was at Mountain View, I had a chance to be with some of the top uh, uh, HR execs. Um, and I think there was some data, because you know what a data-driven company Google is. That I think that if the if the if your if your manager that you were working for, I think they had a policy for a while. I don't know if they still do. They had to show up and be there for their and welcome their team member the first day. And I think they had the data that when they didn't do that versus when they did, and the success rate just on that one, even though there may there may there may not be exactly a direct correlation, but the relationship was quite astounding. Right, just that act. I mean, you hear about organizations where people don't meet their bosses for two weeks or, right, or right. they don't get their laptop for, you know, five days and then password comes five days after and then and you kind of go, what the hell, right? I mean, I know organizations are big, but but I, but I the idea of personal connections, I, I, completely, I completely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely pivotal. Travel with me to the very other end. So I always tell people in any organization that I've run or I've been the chief people officer at is to write your last day, your first day. Everybody's going to leave one day, right? Sure. And so when you can have people, and assuming it's not egregious, right? Nothing stupid happens, you know. But let Jennifer, how many people do you know that end up leaving not because they've done anything poorly or they – it's just that there's a change in direction, a change in philosophy, a change in skill. Like, it's happening every day, right? Oh. So one day, these wonderful people that you recruited might get asked to leave. Right. So what if we could – so explore with me, how would we make leaving the most dignified thing possible? How would you – what would be – what would be your – what would you put in that product, the leaving product? Okay. So in regards to leaving, I think that – and again, my, my team does a pretty good job at this at, you know, we really get to own our own space and have autonomy in the way that we work and control our workflow. So very much so in, in the sense of leaving as well, you know, as you're leaving and you're leaving your recruiting partners, you're leaving your role behind, you know, having a chance to, to button up any projects you're working on or hand them off to a, a different POC point of contact who, you trust to continue working on that project who you know is going to see your vision through um you know follow follow it till the end so really having control over even that i know people have had have had to leave and move on to other opportunities and have been very fortunate in the sense of 
sort of get to pick the the person who fills their role in a sense. Obviously, the hiring manager on a team has final say over what happens in the larger corporate sense. But when working on smaller 20% projects or smaller projects within your team in order to help pr improve efficiency or collaboration or candidate experience, those things that we really have full autonomy and control over, you really get to um, help guide those to the end and, and decide how, how that vision will be finished or, or who buy, which is something that I think is, is really special when you don't get to see something through until the end. Yeah, I think that, that's, I really appreciate that comment. So then why the hell are we still walking people out of business, buildings? Why are we turning their computers off? Why are we boxing their shit up and sending it home? Why, why are we doing that? That I could not tell you because I know not every manager is like that. I know I know and have personally spoken to some who are not in that way, especially with, you know, contractors. They've had an offer, you know, and, and they're a contractor. So, you know, I've seen their boss let them finish their contract for two weeks because there's no sense in letting them go prematurely. Uh, and that doesn't do right by their their the person that they oversee, this teammate that they've worked with and they've worked hard and, and they don't deserve that. So, no, I agree with you and, and it, I think it happens too often. Well, we're going to change the world with leaving and uh, and welcoming Jennifer because I think uh, we've cut, we've not done those bookends like I think we might in the future. But And I think that's got a big impact. It says a lot about your culture um, when around, you attend to that, right? So you were kind enough to, uh, uh, you know, uh, we you know we're very interested. So let me set this up a little bit. Uh, we're really interested in the world of belonging. Like we think the world. So I, I'm very committed to culture as the overall framework, and I've got a framework and a system around. How I think about that at the team level and at the individual level. Um, my observation is that as we move through diversity, inclusion, social justice, that there's this deep craving that we have for belonging and uh, in the best sense of the word. And a lot of times I'll ask people around, what did it feel like when you really belonged in part of something? And you, people describe that. And then if you ask people, what did it feel like you ever felt like you didn't belong? And it's quite remarkable how people have those visual kind of or emotional components in their head. So the data is, of course, is that not surprising, the more you feel like you belong, the more you contribute, the more your success and the team's success increases. So uh, we asked you, uh, I think Lisa Patrick, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today, she had another commitment to what you thought about belonging. And you were kind enough to create a video for us. We're starting to collect these. Do you mind if we play that here for the audience? Yeah, of course. No, happy to share. It's a little bit of how I felt like I didn't belong and then I felt like I did. So I think yeah. it was a full circle. Garrett's going to cue it up, and when he gets a chance, hope he's there back there still. When I first started my contract role at Google, which I'm in now, I most definitely had imposter syndrome and felt like I didn't belong. I had recently come from an environment, um, you know, bartending and doing more promotional work on the side with liquor companies um, and felt that I wasn't polished or suited enough for a corporate environment. Um, and often, you know, really felt the weight of that imposter syndrome and felt like I didn't deserve to be there and I didn't belong because I didn't have a traditional background in the sense that a lot of other people did. Um, 
you know, it took a lot of time, me being around amazing people, uh, empathetic people, and in being in a space of, of truly great culture for me to realize why I was there too. And because I had those abilities and those, um, you know, those traits within myself as well. So it took a while for me to, to see my value, realize my value, and to, to find my place in that regard as well, to, to start to feel like I truly belonged. So it's definitely a feeling that can plague us all, um, but something that we can definitely overcome with the right support, the right people around us, and the right mentality. though thank you for that and um um yeah so we're, we're we're hoping to help with that so i'm so interested around and i really love your authenticity around sort of the imposter syndrome that you kind of felt so yeah tell me if you were um sitting around with a bunch of emerging leaders like you or even old dogs and fossils like me what would you say about getting past the imposter syndrome? What's, what was your lesson out of that? No, I, I love that question. This is something I love to tell people um, because it, it's so true. We get so in our own heads, right? We are our worst enemies and, and we, we often think worse of ourselves than anybody else does. And so one of the things I love to tell people is that no one really cares about you as much as you think they do in the sense that like no one's sitting there scrutinizing you with a magnifying glass saying you didn't do this right or you did this wrong. And and we think that everyone's watching every move we make when in, in reality, most people are very consumed with their own life and what they have to do on and they're not really paying any attention to you at all. So it's it's really it's, it's a self problem. It's something we do to ourselves. So if you can really try to set that mentality aside and, and realize what power you have in your own brain and, and just pushing that away and, and living for today, putting on your, your horse blinders, as I like to say, you know, racehorses, they have those, those blinders so that they can't see the other horses coming up on the sides of them, right? They're focused on what they're doing, their goal, their path, because when you stay true to that and don't worry about what other people think or what other people are doing around you, uh, you're happier, you you get to your goal and you stay true to yourself. That is awesome insight. And I, I you know what, I, and it, trying to bring that self-awareness more earlier on in your life is helps to move forward, doesn't it, right? And and uh, and I, I, I think that's wonderful wisdom. What did you learn about culture, recruitment, contribution for bartending. Other well, than men are repre have repre reprehensible behavior. Um, but other than that, so what would what did you what did you learn? I I learned a lot from bartending. You know, I was very social before that. I've been social my whole life, but I feel like it's it very much so helped me to hone my social skills in a more uh, professional way, really learn to read people a little bit better, understand a little bit more about, about body language and, and how people sort of spark conversations and the directions they 
take them to. So definitely was a crash course in, in people and, and people skills and management in that way. Um, and definitely a lot to learn logistically. Uh, you know, obviously it's a very fast paced environment uh, and it taught me a lot of patience. Um, so just, just lots of people skills in, in that regard and, and developing and blooming there. Yeah, and I love that you took that and you translated that into this world you're living in now. And so what have you learned from your three dogs? Why three and, and uh, what have they taught you? <laughs> so three dogs, mostly because I'm a foster fail and I have a problem. <laughs> but um, no, I absolutely love them. Uh, all of my dogs are rescues. I'm very big on, on rescuing animals. Um, you know, if you, there's a particular breed you want, I always tell people like, I'm all about a breed, but like try to find like a rescue version of that breed. Um, so i you know, all of my dogs found me, um, via, you know, the internet. I follow this amazing, uh, you know, kennel from the heart in my hometown of El Paso. They take the worst case animals, the ones who are going to cost thousands of dollars to help. And they raise funds for them and they save these animals who ordinarily wouldn't get another chance. And, I've just seen so many of their stories and they pull on my heartstrings and and then I end up taking a little one in. So I have three now. I have a healer mix, a collie mix and a pit bull mix. So they're all pretty big, um, but I absolutely love them. They teach me patience. They teach me understanding and love. And I do hope to uh, be a mother someday. So they they help me practice uh, with their toys all over the floor, which I step on often. And, <laughs> and I am learning. So <laughs> it's great. I love, I love those two bookends because I think there is so much to learn from all of our experiences and all these critters and other people in our lives. Right. So uh, we kind of started here and um, and I kind of want to just back up to it a little bit um, because I think it's so instructive for people. This really is unique insight. Like, I mean, other than watching, uh, uh, you know, television or, you know, or a movie about Google or something like that. Uh, if you had to kind of say, this doesn't guarantee you anywhere near a job or anything, but these would be at minimum the attributes that you'd have to uh, have. You talked about conflict leadership, uh, capability, collaboration. What would you add to that mix, Jennifer? So I would say oh, very much so on a personal level, and this isn't a hard requirement because we do take people of equivalent practical experience, but generally for most roles you're applying for at Google, you're going to at least need a bachelor's degree. Um, yeah. You're going to at least need a bachelor's degree, and if you don't have a bachelor's degree, you'll definitely want to have equivalent practical experience. What that means is very much so up to the hiring manager and recruiter in that specific situation though. So having a, a degree is going to be ideal. Um, the ability to lead is critical. Uh, you know, Google likes to see people who can grow. They like to invest in people who have the ability to, to move up within the chain. And, and in order to move up, you really have to have those people skills, um, that, you know, that Googliness that they look for. So people who are friendly, people who are open, people who have, um, I'd say, high emotional intelligence. You don't necessarily need to be the most talkative person to be emotionally intelligent. Those things are not mutually exclusive. And I feel like a lot of times people think they are. You don't need to be the, the most bubbly, outgoing person as long as you know how to effectively communicate uh, with people when you need to. So just really making sure they, that you have that, that baseline of communication with people. The, the minimum qualifications are any specific like 
coding languages or anything you need for a more technical type role. Um, but, but really honing in on, on the things that make people googly, like their ability to to lead, collaborate and, and work together well on a team. So um, as we move in the post COVID environment and hopefully we're going to get behind, you know, past this by next summer, whatever the time that one believes in um, the idea, the ability to work in a hybrid environment at minimum, uh, remote and on campus or some combination. Are, do you, how do you see that emerging uh, culturally going forward? I think it's gonna happen personally. They, they haven't said anything official yet. Uh, it would be official for everyone to know as well. Um, but I know that, I mean, Facebook has gone this direction. Twitter has gone this direction. A lot of the other major companies have gone this direction. So I think for Google not to, would be would put them at a disadvantage when in the job market you know people are going to be looking for that flexibility so if they are not going to offer it it is something that i feel could potentially hinder them so i see them uh moving towards that uh again they have yet to announce it but i, I anticipate they will before COVID's up and i'm hoping that they allow more of a a flexible schedule you know speaking from my personal preference i would love the ability to go into the office maybe once twice a week and and then still have the ability to work from home as well would be most ideal for me yeah that that's and i agree with that and i think that's very helpful so this idea that if you're sitting around thinking that one day remote's going to be off the table that might not be a very realistic realistic world i mean some will go back but the idea that it's going to be there, there may be all or nothing, but there are probably going to be a lot more hybrids. I, I completely agree with you. The, um, of course, which is this whole notion of being able to show your value independently, right? Working from where you are, leading from where you are. Hey, um, on this notion of, um, oh gosh, um, I was going to, I lost my train of thought there. Forgive me. The, what questions do you have? Or what thoughts do you have? Or what are, what messages do you want to leave? Oh, I did want to come back one final thing before. I know this is a little bit in your, resource material, but I hear a lot of people these days think that they have to, you know, write their resume on the side of a llama, you know, floated in the air with a giant balloon. Uh, and there's this, how about all these bells and whistles? Like, are they vital? I would say not at all. Honestly, the only time I really recommend your resume being like loud and flashy and colorful is truly if you are like a creative type, if you're like a graphic designer or a film producer or something like maybe in those certain situations, you might uh, be able to get away with that or they might want to see something more in that regard. But but truly from a corporate perspective, from my perspective, you know, again, I'm, I'm that unbiased view. I, I don't care about the colors. I don't care about the picture. All I care about is your experience. And so oftentimes those big flashy things can take away from that. If you have a bunch of stuff up top that's all big and your work experience is now pushed halfway down the page and it takes it longer for me to look at it, that doesn't work to your advantage. You want someone to see your work experience as soon as possible. So I recommend cutting the bloat, cutting all those bells and whistles. And, and really applying strategically for roles that you are qualified for. Because oftentimes people include those bells and whistles because they're trying to apply for something they're not really a fit for in the hopes that all this flashiness is gonna get them through when it does nothing. You know, we really look for that substance. Fantastic advice. Okay, I'm gonna give you a, kind of a Sophie's choice here that's not completely fair, but I wanna, uh, let's say I'm a emerging leader and I have a choice between a gnarly kick-ass 
uh, tough problem. It's going to take me two years working for this organization, or I continue in my role and I get an executive MBA. I know it's not, which would you push, nudge me towards if you were advising me? If I was advising you, I think I would personally go for the the hard two years. I think that those two years, then the potential they have to teach you and the potential you have to grow and in the the ability to develop something from from scratch, you know, this solution to this problem um, can oftentimes teach you more than education can, in my opinion. So I would say that the real world experience would be better in that case. Um, you know, we see so many people with MBAs too, you know, and unless it's definitely like specified in the minimum or preferred qualifications, that might make you look a little bit better, but it's ultimately going to come down to job experience at the end you of the day. What, Jennifer, I've been preaching. I, I mean, I'm biased to this, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say it because it's hard to make that choice, right? Sometimes people just think that MBA is going to somehow make the difference. And sometimes, like you say, it does, right? It shows, but it doesn't substitute for this incredible, you know, grind it out, show your grit uh, kind of uh, outcome. Um, look, um, what is there anything as we kind of go to a wrap up and a close that you'd like to leave us with or just things that you want to share to our audience? Uh, and I'll just say again, it is jennifernoelgarabay.com. Cool website, lots of resources. Go to our YouTube channel. And um, love your LinkedIn suggestions, like I say. And what would you like to wrap up with as a closing comment? So I would say two things, y'all, to wrap up. As you're looking for jobs and as you're looking for places to call your home professionally, really invest in culture. It, it does make a difference at the end of the day. You know, you can go somewhere else where you're making $5,000 more a year, but if you're miserable, I promise you it's not going to be worth it in the way you feel about it after the fact. You know, we we get so caught up with the shiny thing in front of us that we don't really assess full out. How is this going to affect me in the long run? And and culture is pivotal. Culture is key. And it's something you should continue to seek out always. And, and B, my second thought is leave yourself open to opportunities, y'all. You never know where an opportunity is going to come from. You never know what kind of package it's going to present itself in. And, and don't hold yourself back by assuming that you're not... Um, you're not qualified for something or that something's not right for you. You know, I never thought I would be here at, at Google today. And if someone hadn't, you know, taken a chance on me and pushed me to do it, I, I wouldn't have thought that I had the skills necessary to be here. So, so never sell yourself short. Um, and please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Check out my website. Um, I have just launched a consulting business about two weeks ago. So if you need some LinkedIn or resume help, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to be a resource to you all. Yeah, you're a great expert. I can tell at that. So thank you so much. And you know, I you know, I Google's not perfect. I I I'm very. I love the. Uh, I, I love Google just based on my experience, and um, and uh, I can see why they like you. And uh, thank you for your wonderful insights and just hanging out with us. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, I worry about all everybody, um, all your hometown of El Paso. I know it's been tough there. Um, be safe. Have a wonderful. We know what a great holiday is. I know it's kind of weird. Um, and um, if you see Garrett out uh, walking around, you know, be nice to him too. He's there. So, and uh, 
All right. So, and, and thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, you're going to belong to the Belongify team one way or another. So thank you so much. For thank you guys. It was great to be here. All right. Great. That was great fun. Thank you. Bye for now.